Hello and welcome to the Mordinary Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Meredith. And we are the Moors. We are ordinary people who have faced more than ordinary circumstances. Settle in as we discuss ordinary life and its extraordinary potential. So today we are, this is officially episode number one of the Mordinary Podcast. Big trauma day. We are going to talk about our big trauma, the first trauma that we ever really face as a married couple. And then uh, I feel like it would kind of create like a springboard for future episodes and Absolutely. tons of other stuff. And it kind of creates, um, y- this thing will get unraveled over the, over a, a long period of time in this podcast. So we have three main objectives or, or, or we're trying to accomplish with this pot, with this podcast. And that's to help people, um, learn how to work towards post-traumatic growth, find value in community and leverage the power of trauma for the good of others. Yeah. And those three things. So we're just trying to help people. And, Sounds and awesome. And those are our um, three main objectives with this podcast. And we hope that every episode we are um, you're able to take away one, if not all three of those in some capacity um, from every episode. And we, we, we think that this episode may may touch on each three of those. We're first going to tell a little bit about what life looked like um, before the accident. And then we'll talk about the accident itself. So in 2006, we got married. Yep. And in 2008. We bought our first house. I had gotten my full-time job as a firefighter paramedic. Meredith had her full-time job as a PE teacher. We were just, um, and we were just getting started to start growing our family and having children and, and doing all that, uh, cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, September 14th, 2008 came along. Um, some people would know it as the big windstorm. Some people would see it as, know it as Hurricane Ike. But we had a huge 90-mile-per-hour shear winds move through Ohio. And I was over at a friend's house taking a tree limb out of his house when another tree limb came down and struck me on the top of the head. It um, knocked me unconscious, and they called 911, and the ambulance came and got me. Meredith came to the scene. It was just really a, a very traumatic scene. And fortunately, I had a really good friend uh, there. He called another really good friend of mine to come help out. That was another paramedic of mine, paramedic friend of mine. I had a friend in the back of the medic take me to the hospital. We just had a lot of great support uh, right off the bat. And then we got to the hospital and went to surgery that night to close my head up. Had tons of people around that night. Meredith would probably be able to share a lot more than I because I don't have a whole lot of memory of this, but we had tons of people around to show support and tons of community. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and I think a lot of it actually looking back when I was at the hospital showed how much you had put into other people mm. and invested um, because they just all wanted to come help because it was Johnny. And so I think it just was a great testament of who you were before the accident happened um, and it was just so great to see because I had just moved down. I was, grew up in Toledo and we moved down to Dayton. I didn't know even some of the people that would come because it was just an outpour of people wanting to help out because he had just impacted so much because his personality is, oh, you need help. I'm going to be there. Yeah, it was funny. We uh, had a friend that would always tell me, oh, John, you can't take you can't take favors to the bank and would always say that to me. Apparently, you can really cash in on those when things hit the fan, and <laughs> it really came through for us. Uh, we we had a lot of people come out and help us out, but they 
sewed my head up that night and took me in for MRI and scans and all that stuff. And you were there when the news was broke. Yeah, I I was met you before the head surgery had happened. And, you know, after they had triaged him, they let me come meet him in the hallway. And he had said, you know, babe, I hurt my back. And I was like, I know it's okay. I'm not going to leave you. And we kissed each other. And then he threw up. And they were like, you know, we're going to take him. And I was like, that's a great idea. (laughs) Uh, But it was still overwhelming. Like, wow, okay, I don't know what is happening, but I know he's hurt. So it's just kind of like a course of events that kind of happened after meeting with different people as they were trying to figure out what really had happened and what will be the outcome after surgeries. So, And at that point, you knew my head wasn't hurt. I knew you could talk. I knew your arms could move, but I knew your legs weren't moving. And there was no brain trauma. You knew that I could yeah, I was and that cognitive was, and that I hadn't lost any brain function and that I was still me. Yes. As you remember me. After they had sewn up your head and had seen the x-rays, it seemed like there was going to be no traumatic brain injury, which was just huge to me because that meant, okay, I can at least talk to him. That's huge. I can still have my best friend um, to talk to. Legs or no legs, I know I can handle the no leg thing, but not talking to him, I, that would be very hard thing to face in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, not that this isn't hard in itself, but that would have been way harder for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I, I love the story, so I'll have you share it too. When the resident, the poor resident had to come in and Yeah, I felt bad because like they pulled <laughs> us into this like tiny little closet of a room, no windows, just literally like a closet felt like and it seemed like he was very young very new that's why I feel like maybe he was a resident he was still in school yeah and they had him tell us the results of your back x-ray and what they thought would be the outcome after that and he had said that they confirmed that you had a t12 injury that the bone would had actually just exploded inside you and had cut your spinal cord so that the chances of you ever walking again were not great. Mm-hmm. That you would not walk out of the hospital. So it was devastating news and we were all terrified. But that he knew that they would be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. That you could function and um, you just wouldn't have your legs functioning. And so I just remember kind of going into survival mode looking back. Like I just was like, all right, I'm going to be by his side. But I also felt, um, you know, tons of emotion happened in that room that day. There was anger um, from the people that were with us, um, sadness, crying. For me, what I had was I just felt silent, like that survival mode, like like a deep breath, kind of like, oh, okay, kind of came over me. Um, I remember there was this half wall when I walked out and just kind of, sunk into it and sat um and I I don't know what the people in the room were thinking but I'm sure they were like oh wow okay so big news she's you know dealing with something wasn't good yeah yeah um I remember my best friend coming and sitting next to me and I had to tell her what had happened and she's like what do we do and all I could do at that moment was just say well we need to pray we need to pray right now and so that's what we did and I just thank God that your head was okay that I would be able to speak to you and have conversations. 
and that I just asked for him to be around everybody that was working with you and that maybe a miracle could happen. Yeah. But that if not, um, that, you know, that we can get through this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it must've been really intimidating for that doctor because not only was it you and a couple of family members in that room, but then outside that room, he knew there was more people, dozens of people waiting for the news. Like, like it, it, there that, was maybe just about 10 people oh, okay. at that, that time. Was, that, that was More before people most came. people showed up. Yeah. So um, after that, I came back to, they took me out of the operating room. You went in, um, saw me, sat with me. You were pretty much there all the time. Like, if yeah, you were, the moment if that you I was were, allowed to be there yeah. until they kicked if me the out. If the policy of the ch- hospital let you be there, then you were there. Well, we kind of had an in with one of the doctors and he let me actually sleep in the doctor's quarters where they sleep a couple of the nights. So I didn't even have to leave the hospital. And the power was out at our house anyhow. So it was kind of nice having the hospital. So we never, you never, probably a whole week, you lived at the hospital. Pretty much. Yeah. And, um, and that gave me confidence of knowing that she's not going anywhere. No. Like, like I have so much support around me right now between... You and um, all the rest of the family, my my sister and my mom, and I just knew that I had advocates, and more than anything, you. Not nothing got past you, uh, nothing got to me without going past you first, and that you kind of kept a very good pulse on what does he need, what is he getting, and making sure that his needs are met and that he's getting everything that he needs, and that was always just really reassuring of knowing that all I need to worry about is getting better. And she's got my back. She has got me covered um, and making sure that I'm, I'm getting what I need. So that was always um, really cool. And so after we got that news, I got moved to ICU mm-hmm. after my initial surgery. And then I had another surgery the next day. And then following that, I think I was still in ICU Yes. when I really found out that this is permanent or as far as we know, it's going to be permanent and then I'm going to be paralyzed from the waist down my my i'm gonna be a paraplegic and i think you you broke the news to me yeah you were in the icu room icu room and it was the day after your back surgery and the some of the drugs were kind of wearing off and i think your body was coming out of the shock thing so you were a little bit more aware um you said a lot of funny things in icu (laughs) I was heavily another medicated time. and had a break uh, <laughs> to the but, head. But hey, so. that lightened the mood, so it was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, you you woke up and I could tell what you were going to ask me. And I was like, oh no, okay, here we go. I'm going to have to be the one to break the news, um, which was fine. I think that's the way it maybe should have been. Yeah, I'm glad and you did. you asked, will I ever walk again, was your question. And it was just me and you in the ICU, ICU room. There were other people in the waiting room at that time. but And I said, they're saying no. No, you're not. But I wanted you to know that I will always be there for you. So I said, I will always be here for you. We're in this together. And so you just kind of bawled. And then I bawled. And we cried together. For a little bit, and then you got real tired again, and you kind of fell off into another nap. And I just kind of sat there with you like, oh, wow, that was, that was hard. Like, I, I hated to tell you that. I didn't want to have to tell you that. 
So I remember your mom then came in the room and we switched spots and she sat with you and I went out in the waiting room and I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with emotions and I just sat in a chair and just started bawling. And I remember the friends that were there came around me and they're like, what's going on? And I just couldn't talk at that moment. <laughs> they were probably afraid. You know, and I was like, it's okay. I just had to tell him he can't walk again or yeah. ever. Um, and so they just kind of all just sat around me and we all kind of just were sad for you together. Yeah. And then following that, I started to become more aware and people started asking, what is he worried about? Yeah. People started asking you, what, what's got him worried? What can we take care of? Because your goal was to make sure that I only had to worry about getting better. Yes. Your goal was to be a good advocate for me and Do make sure that say. my only job was to get better. And then our community's goal, everyone out in the waiting room, their goal was to what can we take care of both of you so that Meredith, you can just focus on Johnny and Johnny, you can just focus on getting better. They were all amazing. Yeah. And um, sh at that point, it was he just got hired as a full time firefighter paramedic. And now job? he was just told by his doctor that he'll never walk again. Mm -hmm. So he's pretty freaked out about his job. Yep. And he's worried he's going to lose his job over this. Yeah, you were really nervous. Yeah. And, and then an amazing thing happened. Yeah. So just a, at the hospital. You were in the trauma floor. You were out of floor, ICU. Out of ICU, onto the trauma floor. And the chiefs all three chiefs the head the, the chief and then two assistant chiefs from my department came into my room and said hey don't worry about your job we've got you taken care of you worry awesome. about getting better um we've got firefighters working shifts for you um with no compensation they are just volunteering to work your shifts we've got an extension of sick leave for you and you worry about getting better and we'll take care of the rest later when we need to. But for right now, you worry about getting better and your job's not going anywhere. Yeah. And that was that was a huge load off. That was a game changer for you. Yeah, because then the mission was, all right, then let's get out of here and get better. Mm-hmm. You know, w whether that was walking or not, I think we at that point we, we kind of accepted the fact that I was never going to walk again at some level. I don't know if full I don't, acceptance I don't know. Yeah. was at that point, but I think we... I don't know I if the permanency we... of it set in, but like, okay, so... We need to learn how to use a chair and learn how to I think we function. were just motivated by the people around us. Yeah. So, so. and, and you know, we, we kind of came up with this. We kind of started this motto, and I think it happened pretty organically. One day, I don't know if it was that, but something happened, and I was like, all right, one less thing. Like, one less thing to worry about. Well, we were really into watching Forrest Gump at the time. <laughs> a lot of Forrest Gump. A lot of Forrest Gump. It's my favorite movie. And so there's a line from Forrest Gump that he says, they say, I don't have to worry about money anymore. So I thought, one less thing. Yep. So it was one of our favorite lines. So we kind of put it into practice at the hospital as a way to, one, realize, okay, we have so much to worry about. So if there's mm -hmm. something we don't have to worry about, that's awesome. That's great. And it was a way for us to kind of giggle and have yeah, fun and, and think, find some humor well, one less thing. One less thing. You don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about losing my job anymore. Okay, yeah. one less thing. Yeah. <laughs> so then, It really is a great way to think of things. Yeah, and, and it, it let us kind of laugh at the little victories 
and it also forces to acknowledge them. Yeah. Like, like we acknowledge the little victories. That was a big victory. Mm-hmm. But then other times it was like, all right, I can transfer on the bed and onto my chair. All right, one less thing. You what's didn't the, fall. What's next? I can, I can put my own socks on. All right, one less thing. Like, and there was like, I don't know if there was a literal checklist, but there was pretty much a checklist of things I had to do. Yeah, before they would release from the hospital. Yeah, and it became our goal, at least my mission. I got to get these things checked off. I want to get out of here. Yeah, I want to get home. Now, I don't want to paint the picture to these listeners that we were this happy. Oh no! (laughs) When we were there. No. I know we're talking in a happy tone yeah. right now, but it was very serious and very scary yeah. and overwhelming. Yeah. We did try to have fun with the one less thing, but it was very like, okay, our whole life is changing. Yeah. We were very active people at the beginning. It was shocking, overwhelming. Yeah. We had moments where we did sit and cry mm-hmm. together in your hospital bed. Um, so I don't want you guys to think that it was so easy. No, pro- it it was hard. But we do want you to hear also, like, like parts of our story. We were just like, wow, like that happened. Like it, there's some amazement in our story that mm-hmm. things that happened. So I just want to put that out there as we're talking. Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, we were in such shock. I mean, we went from a just your typical able-bodied couple. Who, well, super active, yeah. go on hikes, go running, go yeah. do things together. Newlyweds, just going to start their family. We just bought our new house. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, things are different. And, yeah. and it's never going to be the same. We're now thinking, how do we get you in and out of cars? How do we get right. you in and out of a house? How do we get you in and out of a restaurant? Like, yep. that's, that's a completely different thing. And now we live with it every day. It's still hard. Still hard, and it's ten years later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're ten and a half years into this thing, and and still there's th- obstacles during the day where it's like, th- this sucks. Yeah, and we'll go yeah. into that more. Sorry, we're digressing. Yeah, but but um, but but just in the moment, in that time we were in the hospital, it, it was it was just a lot of shock, and and a lot of it was we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't yeah. know what the wheelchair community was like. And well, it, like I said in the beginning of us telling our story. It was survival mode. Yeah. That's what we were in. Yeah. I think some of you out there, you know what we mean. Yep. It's just you buckle down and you get it done. Yep. And we're and we are just trying to get through the next hour or get through the next five minutes or, you know, just trying to get through the day to get to the next one. Yeah. And and we're we're we are just trying to survive at that point. And we get um through rehab and we, we get ready to go home and we go home and we're going home to a tri-level. Yeah. And that created obstacles. and A tri-level with no bathroom, no bedroom on the first floor. Yeah. So uh, that wasn't ideal for someone in a chair. No. Um, so the community was stepping up, taking care of a house for us. And that's going to be a whole nother probably episode series on community. Well, we had two awesome friends come right. and say we have a we're a gonna... ranch on our property that we just bought. We'd like you guys to live in there until you can get on, you know, yep. metaphorically your feet. Yep. And, and they got the community rallied up. They, um, made a house that was just ideal for us and literally custom to what we needed. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to, and that's going to be a fun episodes to record later. So feel free to 
look for those later date but uh but let's talk about yeah. a coming out of the hospital which is it was record time i think i don't know for a spinal cord injury yeah, um, individual to about the first week of october he so. guys he was in the hospital for only three and a half weeks that's not normal which we might have come out a little too fast i think our survival mode may be pretty high and we were buckling down maybe a little too fast um looking back I mean, at the time we were ready, but looking back, it was a very quick time. So we came home. He had to be pretty much on the couch or in bed because he just, his muscles, his body was weak. It was tired and a lot of trauma had happened to it. Yeah. Um. So he would sit on the couch and we learned about pressure sores yep. and what those mean. He got long, one and it was a big deal for us. a long time sitting on the couch. Um, our dining room was the bathroom, the bedroom. And the dining room. Not ideal for a pretty newlywed couple to be in. Yeah, not ideal. And then one instance in particular that sticks out to me is I was literally so sick. Not literally sick. I was so sick of going to the bathroom in a bedside commode. And I'm so sick of going to the bathroom in my dining room. Like, I'm going to sit on a normal toilet. And I'm going to go to the bathroom like a normal person. So I climbed the six or seven stairs to our upstairs bathroom, um, scooted up there, shimmied up onto the toilet. I don't even know how I would have at that point. It seems like a more advanced skill now. Uh, got from the floor up onto the, on the toilet, probably with you lifting me. I finally got up there. I got to the bathroom. We got back down on the floor, go, going down the hallway. And I just sat there. And I was like, what have I done? Hmm. Like I have... I have given my life, my wife, a life sentence. Like, she's going to have to deal with me for the rest of her life, and I don't want to do that to her. And I sat there, and I remember looking at her, think, and, and I just told her, I said, I don't mind. I understand if you leave. Like, I get it. Like, you didn't sign up for this. And I don't want you to ever feel obligated to stay or feel like you need like I totally get it if you want to say I'm out and leave and I just broke down like I I, I think it, a lot of stuff caught up to me in that moment and I just said I I totally understand if you want to go and uh and live the life that you kind of envisioned us living even if that means with someone else and that's when you said I'm not going anywhere like it, it was there. There wasn't even as any hesitation. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, this is like a four. I was speaking a foreign language to you. Yeah. Like, like what I was saying wasn't even registering on your mind as a reasonable thought. Like, I'm not going anywhere. And now looking back, I mean, if she was gonna, if you were gonna leave, it would have been during the hospital or stuff. Like, like you never once wavered. No. Whether it was in the hospital or after the hospital or in that moment, like, like checking out wasn't an option. No. We, this was for sicker, uh, for sickness and in health and till death do us part. Like this is permanent. She, she married me legs or not. Yep. And, th- and that was, uh, just a really cool moment for us. I mean, it was in the moment, extremely sad. Well, we were both bawling at yeah. the time and crying, and but I think it was a a moment that needed to happen um, because we had we didn't have that in the hospital as much as it was so great to have everybody there. I think mm-hmm. it made it harder for us to just soak in what was happening, mm-hmm. and I think just the quietness of our house and you having that experience of having to climb stairs really brought 
it to more light maybe for you of what was really going on and what this new life was going to have to look like for you. Yeah. And for our marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, how refreshing that was for me. And it gave so much more confidence to both of us. Like we're going to make this. Yeah. Like, like, but I'm so glad that you were willing to be honest of who, what you were feeling. Like, what if you held on to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, and never knew how I really felt mm -hmm. that, that would be terrible. Yeah. And that's just a, a thing to say, like in marriage, like even when you think that the answer could be something that you don't really want, mm -hmm. like that could have been scary for you if I was like, oh, okay, well then I'm going to go now. Yeah. You know, but mm -hmm. that wasn't my answer and it will never be my answer. But I, I think that's so important in marriages is that when you're carrying something and if you can't tell your spouse there's something wrong then. Mm -hmm. You should have such an open communication in your marriage. Well, that's intimacy. That you Trust exactly and intimacy. Exactly. That, that you yeah. should be able to share whatever is going on. Yep. Absolutely. No like, matter what you're worried about how your spouse is going to react, that's on them. Right. That's on them. Yeah. And that'll be a whole nother podcast that yeah. we've learned through these years is boundaries, but <laughs> looking back, that was such a key moment to happen for us. Yeah. Yeah, that really was. And and we both distinctly remember a lot of detail about that yeah that was really a, a, a pivoting point for us and you know and to kind of wrap us up here it's amazing looking back now what we've weathered and you know recently I heard an analogy it it, it just really stuck with me and I really felt like th this really um, is what this podcast is all about where it talked about the logging industry and how this guy was standing on this river walking on the logs and a guy was on the bank watching, and the guy that was walking the logs and moving them down the river and sorting the logs would, would every now and then grab a log and then push it over to the side and was, collect, and was like collecting certain logs that he saw that he had his eye on that he was setting aside for some purpose. And after this went on for a while and he came over onto the shore, the guy that was on the shore watching said, Hey, you know, what are you doing out there? Like, what, what are these logs? Like, what, what are you pulling aside and why are you doing that? And he said, Oh, those logs came from the top of the mountain. I'm going to save those to build my house with. And he's like, what's so special about the logs from the top of the mountain? He said, Oh, those are the strongest. <laughs> and he said, well, first of all, how do you know they're from the top of the mountain? Well, how do you know they're strong? And then why are they the strongest? He said, well, if you look, you can see the rings on there are tighter together because that, that means they're stronger, denser wood. And the reason that the, tree, that the trees on the top of the mountain have the tighter rings and are stronger and denser because they've been exposed to the elements. They've taken the hits from the wind and the weather and the, they, they were the ones that had no protection. They took a lot of the, they took the worst um, beating and it made them stronger. All I could think of was, boy, I I hope that through this through this trauma and, and some of the traumas that have come after that we'll talk about makes us both individually stronger. The ring, the rings in our own life are mm -hmm. tighter together, but also you and I, yeah, like our marriage, the rings are tighter together, yeah, and more dense, and because we were able to be honest with each other and share with each other and, and be transparent. And we hopefully are 
I don't want to say more dense. <laughs> we've weathered a lot we've of weathered storms. A lot, we've weathered some pretty big storms. And, <laughs> and I would hope that we come out strong on the other side. And that's the post-traumatic growth. Now, there's certainly stress and post-traumatic stress from this. But I feel like the big picture, I would say that we've grown from it. And we've seen a lot of post-traumatic growth from that. Definitely branched out more. Oh, geez, the puns from the trees. All right, so we branched out. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I think that that's just really cool, that um, that that imagery of the tree on the top of the absolutely, the, of the I love that. Im- it's yeah. awesome and a great question to some of you listeners to think about. What tree do you want to be? Yeah, bottom or top? Yeah, and, and and sometimes we need to put ourselves out there to seek out the stress. Yep, like seek out those opportunities to be. Let yourself be on the top of the mountain. Yeah, let yourself be out there. Let yourself be exposed a little bit. Uh, get hit by some winds and and. It'll make you stronger on the other side and and not to suppress the pain and suppress it, but accept it. Sit in it. Yes. Sit in the stink and sit in the The trauma. Sit in the muck and just, you know what? Life sucks right now. And I can admit that. Life sucks right now. And in that moment, you're sitting there and just soaking it in. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the... Um, the steps of grief and all that in future episodes, but just going through that process. And after that, we pretty much started a s- pretty consistent six-year cycle with a with a counselor uh, to help us process all that. And, we, and we've learned a lot through that all that counseling. And, yes, very thankful. And um, we'll we'll be sharing that in future episodes as well. So. All right. We think that's a good time to stop today. Uh, we really thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, we'd really, really love to hear from you. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to hit us up at mordinarypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and you can, um, by all means, leave us a review, leave us a rating. It really helps people find uh, this podcast, and feel free to share it with someone that you think would benefit from it. We're out.